and welcome to our bi-monthly Industry 4.0 Community Podcast put on by 4.0 Solutions, who is your sponsor today. I am your host with the most, Walker D. Reynolds. Today, um, we have our fourth session with Sam Castro, Salvatore Castro from SAP, um, the product owner of digital, what you may know as digital manufacturing cloud. It's now digital manufacturing. Um, Sam has committed a lot of time over the last few weeks to, to meet with our our group, our team, plus our community. Um, and today is sort of the, the it's the pinnacle of that. It's our first public conversation. Um, we're gonna talk about digital manufacturing from SAP. We're talking about Sam's background. We're gonna talk about UNS and SAP. This is a very, very, one of the top questions. How do I integrate an open industry 4.0 architecture using an SAP ERP or Batchmaster or Epicor or QAD or enter in. But if you look at the market share, SAP's got the biggest chunk of that, right? So we're going to talk about that today. We're actually going to talk about digital manufacturing cloud, but it's now digital manufacturing. We're going to talk about SAP in general, their digital strategy, kind of what their long game is, where do they stand right now. And we're going to talk about UNS and SAP. Um, and Sam has graciously committed a lot of time to our community over the last few weeks. Um, all right, with that, let me bring in uh, Zach and Vaughn real quick. Um, so Zach, Vaughn, what's up, brothers? How's it going? What up? Doing great. So how have you guys prepared for this podcast real quick? <laughs> I know I, I've prepared for this one more than I, I, I typically do. I normally wing it, but I got, uh, I took, uh, I took a lot of took a lot of heat from the mastermind session. Now I'll talk about that here in a little bit, but I got yelled at by a lot of members of the community um, during the mastermind session. So I, I've, I've prepared myself for this one to kind of show where, it, you know, where my mindset is with digital manufacturing from SAP, where I think it fits into our architectures. Um, but what about you guys? What have you guys done to prepare for today? I'm excited to see uh, where SAP fits into the ecosystem and what a SAP's approach is moving forward. You know, like I think some of the comments came from like stuff they had done in the past and like, yeah, maybe we should address that in, in some sense. But like, I think it's more about moving forward. You know, like there's Great. a lot of smart people at SAP. Like, where do they see the SAP uh, digital manufacturing and unified namespace working together to build solutions and address some of the questions that you got in the mastermind. Okay. Yeah. Vaughn, what about you, buddy? Uh, so, you know, obviously being in the mastermind session last week, that was uh, really informative for me. Um, you know, as a, as a lay person, as a, you know, former plant floor operator, um, I spent a lot of time this weekend with chat GPT, um, you know, doing a little research on digital manufacturing cloud or digital manufacturing now. Um, and then, you know, kind of how it relates to, what we do on the plant floor. Why do I even care? Right. Why do I care about uh, the ERP system? What, how does that affect my job? So a lot of, a lot of prompting <laughs> with them and, and a lot of research. Awesome. All right. Let me get through the announcements real quick. So Cheryl doesn't send me a bunch of messages. Walker, don't forget the announcements. All right. <laughs> um, so mentorship, those of you who are in mentorship, our next mentorship call is this Friday, 9am. We are going to be kicking off sprint for a virtual factory, um, advanced MES. So advanced MES bootcamp, that's this Saturday. It's the last session. We were doing enterprise UNS integration to cloud architecture. I uploaded a video 
a 10 minute video that's in the mastermind session where I put together, I shot like a 12 minute, 10 to 12 minute video doing an actual Apache NiFi integration. We're going to be using NiFi and Kafka for this UNS integration. Most people are familiar with Kafka. Most people are not familiar with NiFi. So I, I wanted to make sure that uh, at least everyone got their fluency up on what Apache NiFi is. I did an actual integration, showed you how to consume from a broker, take a broker payload, well, actually a flow file in Apache NiFi, convert that into a JSON payload, and then write both the, the data from the MQTT broker plus the JSON we compiled into a log file on a text file on a server, okay? We're actually gonna take that and put it in S3. I just didn't do the Amazon S3 integration in that video. Please make sure you watch that video before the Advanced MES Bootcamp on Saturday. Those of you in Mastermind, the Advanced MES Bootcamp is already part of your educational curriculum. Um, and if you guys are interested in doing that, that UNS integration, enterprise UNS integration, uh, you can go to iot.university. Wait, say that, say that again, because I got an email about this and I was like, wait, it's this weekend, right? The Saturday. You, yep. You can, yep. and I was like, wait, you can purchase a standalone ticket just to that one session. And yep. I didn't see that. I only saw that in the email. So people probably don't people don't know about it unless they open that email, you know? Yeah, it's, I, I think it's like three, is it 349 or is that right? Am I, I got the price right? Hopefully. Okay. <laughs> um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's 349 for just that session. But if you're in mastermind, you get that. It's already part of it. Okay. Should post that on social media. The, your social media has been growing so much. It has. I know you don't like selling on social media, but like you should let people know so that they at least know that that option exists, that you, they could purchase a ticket just to this. I hate, I hate selling in general. I, in fact, my philosophy about selling is, uh, or it should be organic. I think that yeah. what you should do is solve. Well, like, I, I didn't, I didn't even know about it. I know I'm not as close as like the digital media team who's doing it every day, but I'm like, Oh wait, I didn't even, this wasn't even on my radar, but it's this week. So. I'll tweet, I'll tweet something out about it then since All you right. mentioned that. And one last, one last thing that might be, and this is sort of a call out to the community. So I'm going on sabbatical um, next week. So next week is my last week in the office. And then I'm on sabbatical for like eight weeks. I am, we're releasing the unified namespace, uh, handbook that I think it drops on July 15th. Um, I'll have a bunch of posts about it and show you covers of the book and all that stuff, but it's basically the, it's the definitive, uh, handbook on unified namespace. Um, so I have to get that launched. I need to finish the adversity and success book. Um, you know, everybody knows I went through a divorce and then I reconciled with my ex-wife and there's a chapter in there on, on reconciliation. Um, and, uh, I trying to get that launched by September. So I'll be on sabbatical over the, over the summer. But part of that sabbatical is we've decided to do this tour to 4.0. So the, the, when we went to Tulip and we went to Liveworks, we got a lot of like great feedback on that by the way, that was incredibly expensive. That week cost us like 30, 30 grand or something to do that. And um, Dude, the content the last three weeks, like the, it's been amazing. Like the vlogs have been like 20 to 40 minutes, like an hour. Yeah. You had uh, live works, then Tulip, and then just recently Mass MEP, which I just watched that yesterday. It's really yeah. good, dude. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah we no, the content's on fire. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we're going to do a tour to 4.0 over the summer. So we are going to go visit, um, and just so I'm, I know that I think we've booked three companies so far. I can only share one of them uh, right now, but uh, we're going to go to Frameworks. We're going to go to Tatsoft in Chicago. 
We're going to go to another software vendor who's based in Detroit. We are going to go to a product vendor that's based in Minnesota, which I think it, that sort of goes to our, our, our announcements for 2023 that we believe um, you're going to see a lot more of industry 4.0 philosophies in consumer products. So the idea that you're going to be focused on making products that get better after you buy them. This is a startup that's actually been around for about five years. They're, they're growing 100% year over year. They make a consumer product in the simulation world. That's all I can say about it. We're going to go in and um, profile that company. And if there's anybody else you'd like to see us go profile, please put them in the comments down below. So if there's another company you want us to go and do and a specifically a, a company in Utah or Salt Lake City so <laughs> that you guys could make your way out here to Utah. So that's the last up. big thing. We're, we're doing tour to 4.0. Um, I want uh, just a couple other um, quick announcements that are not on my list. Um, and I, want, I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I will right now. So we, we are closed on June 19th. So Monday is Juneteenth. Okay. Every, every year, whenever June 19th falls on a weekday, we take that day off. We close our office. We, um, we all meet as a team in the morning and we go over, um, you know, why does June t Juneteenth matter? You know, um, and, you know, you see a lot of companies, you know, pandering and, you know, virtue signaling and they change their logos to black logos. And I, I all that horseshit is just ridiculous. It's just pandering. It's not real. It's just, you know, trying to appease people. What we, we believe that we need to do something that's more meaningful. And so we are we close our offices on June 19th and we have a two hour meeting with our our team and we talk about. Why does June 19th matter? And obviously, for those of you that don't know why June 19th matters, it is the day that the last slaves in America were liberated in Galveston, Texas, here in the United States. So post-Civil War. Um, and we have this conversation every year on June 19th when it falls on a week weekday. And it's this. You know, I own 49 companies and I get a lot of people applying for to come work for my companies. But if you you'll notice that in our industry, it's amazing how homogenous we are in our industry. It's mostly male and it's mostly white males. Um, it, you know, maybe 60, 70 percent, I think it is. And then you and then the next is Indian. And then after that, it's um, Southeast Asian. Right. And so but people of color do not apply for it. it to work here very often. We actually look, we do an analysis. And if we can, if somebody re self reports, the percentage of people of color who reply for positions in, in systems integration in our company is less than 1%. And so we have a conversation about that. What can we do as an organization to try and increase that number? Right. Mm -hmm. And so this year, what we're going to do at Intellic Integration is we have sponsored a young person of color, a 14 year old boy whose dad is a civil engineer. Um, we met him through our gym. We met him through his mom and we are going to sponsor him this summer. He's going to spend this summer in our offices, working with our digital media team, working with our engineers, just getting exposed to what it is that we do here every single day. And hopefully, you know, once he, you know, we can cultivate him and when he graduates from college, he can just come straight working here. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm obviously not known as a virtue signaler. Most people think that I'm quite the opposite, but yeah, I think that it, it, it really matters that we have these real conversations as organizations about the things that can help us be mm, 
better organizations that drive better societies. I firmly believe the reason systems integrators are more are better equipped to guide organizations on their digital transformation journeys is simply because of cultural diffusion. I get to see as an integrator, I get to see hundreds and hundreds of processes. Whereas the really smart person who works for manufacturer A only ever sees manufacturing process A. And cultural diffusion drives innovation. And that's one of the reasons that it matters so much that we make efforts to be more diverse um, in our organizations. All right. With that, let's bring in uh, Sam. Sorry, man. I ran, ran a lit hair longer than I wanted to. So this is uh, Sam Castro with SAP. Salvatore Castro, if you look him up on um, LinkedIn. Sam, do you want to quickly uh, introduce yourself and then we'll just kind of get into the convo? Yeah, for sure. And good conversation, too. Uh, so nice to uh, so a part of the manufacturing solution management team here at SAP, I was part of an acquisition uh, of a relatively small company back in 2005 called Lighthammer Software. Um, and I was doing a lot of services work around operations and controls, um, connectivity, integration work, the analytics using, you know, Illuminator Execute, which were the, the core products from Lighthammer, um, carried that through into, into SAP, which you now see as the MII product. Uh, manufacturing integration and intelligence, did that around the world for a while, uh, trained a lot of our system integrators around the globe as well. So a lot of countries, a lot of plants, a lot of different processes across the industries. Um, if you can think of it in manufacturing, I've probably seen it at firsthand, uh, at least somewhere in the world um, over the last 20 years. Uh, so it's been great, been a great ride. I've uh, been part of SAP for a while and now I'm part one of the solution owners for our digital manufacturing offering. Uh, which is what you're seeing is our next generation of MES in cloud. So we're managing an MES environment with resiliency, with you know a focus on the control side around standardization of processes and around analytics as well. So you went to RIT, right? I did. I did, did. You, I did a did you grow up in and master's computer science there. Did you grow up in upstate New York? Is that where yeah, you're from? I'm originally Buffalo, so West Seneca specifically, but Buffalo, New York, and then I went up about an hour up the road to, to Rochester. It's actually where I met my wife. Uh, so I so for the community here, real quick. Um, so Sam and Rick Bellotta had so Rick was the founder of Lighthammer, right? And and Sam was with Rick at Lighthammer. Why do I listen to Rick Bellotta? A lot of you know, because Rick likes to troll people. He does like to troll. And I've had this whole conversation. I don't think most people understand like how big of an impact Rick Bellotta has had on our industry. Okay. So Lighthammer became MII. So most of you who do uh, systems integration and you're integrating with SAP, the vast majority of you were doing your integrations through MII, right? So you were using MII to unlock SAP ERP into the manufacturing environment. That's That was Rick and Sam, right? Sam went with Rick during the acquisition to SAP and Sam stayed at SAP. Then Rick left and he and he built system platform for Aviva, right? So, it, I mean, if you think about where where Rick's hands have been, and then after that, he did something else, and then he basically consults for people who, you know, he he's a, an advisor for Tulip. He's, you know, Rick is. If there's anybody in this industry who knows the industry from literally the concrete on the manufacturing side all the way to the boardroom. It is Rick Bellotta. It's part of the reason I listen to Rick. Rick is the one who put me and Sam together. So what happened was 
I did a post on LinkedIn. I want to talk a little bit about the background. Okay. I did this post on, on LinkedIn. So here, here's basically what happened. We had some members of the community who reached out to me and said, Hey, SAP is telling clients that the unified namespace doesn't scale. And, 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 and it was from the digital manufacturing space. And they said, you need to have, you need to craft some response. And so I just, I shot a private video about it, but I posted on LinkedIn, I'm shooting this private video. Here's my point. The, SAP is good at these things, but it is not digital infrastructure. That was basically my statement. It is, it's an outstanding ERP and you'll never hear me say it's a terrible ERP. I don't agree with the way SAP goes to market all the time in the past traditionally, but I love the ERP. So I love S4 HANA, by the way. I, I think it's a, I think S4 HANA was a step in the right direction. I, now that I've had a chance to really kick the tires, look under the hood of digital manufacturing, I also think it's a, a step in the right direction. Do I believe it's perfect? Do I believe, of course, no, there are limitations. I'll talk about some, what some of my reservations are, but Sam engaged with me in that LinkedIn post. We went back and forth on some architectural stuff. Rick chimes in and says, the two of you need to get together and have a call. So we then had a call with our team and Sam did the deep dive on DMC. We had a very frank discussion, okay, about unified namespace, SAP. I then said to him, hey, Sam, I'd, I'd love for you to come and show digital manufacturing to our mastermind group. So then he then came and he presented for, what is it, two hours last Friday, right? And then you stayed on for the remainder of the call, right? And that's a four-hour session. Well, actually, we did three hours. Then we invited him on the podcast so we could do a public conversation. So that's what brought us here. And what I'll do is kind of lay the foundation, which is this. Um, we'll talk about the elephant in the room first. The audience here, I got a, I got absolutely eviscerated after the mastermind. I told Sam this right before we, were, we came live. After the mastermind, during mastermind, I received no fewer than 12 to 20 private messages saying, I'm going way too easy on SAP. You're, you're going, you're not asking the obvious questions. You're not pointing out the deficiencies. Number two, I got a bunch of emails afterwards saying, Walker, I'm very disappointed in you. You, you, you had a rare opportunity, blah, blah, you know, and, and here's what my response was. Okay. It, it, my response was this. I know that I come across as a very emotional person on in video, but I assure you I'm not. I am actually a very erudite, measured, calculated, you know, most of the time when I'm angry, I'm feigning anger. I say in my head, I should show anger here. There are times where I'm legitimately angry. I am I have I don't have an emotional feeling about SAP one way or the other. I don't go if you say SAP, I don't get angry, okay? If you say Rockwell Automation, I get angry, but if, if, if you say SAP, I don't get angry. I What I do is I look at my experiences working with SAP ERP specifically. Um, I am not a channel partner. I've never been a channel partner. We advocate for agnostic integration, okay? And, and traditionally, it the channel partners with SAP do not play nicely with non-channel partners. That has just been the, the traditional experience. When you ask... When you're looking for help or you're looking for assistance, they're what basically what they try to do is freeze out the agnostic architect, the agnostic integrator, because they don't want someone who's not part of the team, part of the SAP team, to not toe the line. If I were if I'm being straight, if I'm being straight with you. 
All right. So when it, but I looked at digital manufacturing and I said, there's a real potential here. There's no way SAP would have built this if they didn't see the writing on the wall. If they were going to do things the way SAP had always been doing, they wouldn't have built DMC. They wouldn't have built digital manufacturing. Okay. And so with that, that's why we are having these conversations in good faith. And I'm not just yelling and screaming at Sam and he's yelling and screaming at me. Okay. All right. With that, you can go that route, but it won't get us anywhere. I'm going to get us anywhere. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, the goal here is how, what's a win today? A win is everyone watching this podcast walks away and understands exactly what DMC, I'm going to use DMC, even though that's, it's not digital manufacturing cloud anymore, but okay. what is DMC? Okay. How does it fit into SAP's digital strategy? Okay. What is SAP's long game with it? And how does UNS, how does a UNS architecture with SAP's new direction, how do they work together? That's the goal. Okay. And then let people make their choice. So with that, let me turn it over to Sam. Digital manufacturing. What is it? How does it fit into SAP's digital strategy and what is the long game? And then we'll talk about UNS and SAP. All right. So digital manufacturing is our answer for standardizing MES for pick an industry, right? And I say that very specifically, uh, pick an industry, because we are intending to grow it across all of the major industrial you know, manufacturing industries. The focus right now is, has been our heritage, right? We, we led with discrete manufacturing from, if you remember the VisitPrize acquisition also happened 2009, 2008, somewhere in there, um, brought in a lot of folks that knew discrete component assembly, complex assembly, things like that. So we took that, that, that knowledge and that base and we, we moved it forward into an MES layer. And in addition to that, we said, you know what, we're really close you know, to, to being able to do both hybrid MES. And so about three, three and a half years ago, we, we embarked on building a process, uh, MES engine from scratch ground up. So we, we looked a lot at what we did in ERP on the, the production planning for process industries. We looked at a lot of that structure, the recipe design, master information. And we said, you know what, we're really close to being able to turn that into something executable. And so, so we did, so we moved that into, into the MES layer, um, what you're seeing today, when you, you know, when you first turn it on or subscribe, I should say to the tenant, right? When you first subscribe to it, first thing you see is, you know, uh, we do the integration and we lead with the integration. And that was again, because we built this ground up off of that ERP structure. So again, the first thing that shows up is a material, a route, a work center, capacity, stuff like that. These objects just start to appear schedule, right? The plan. That information just starts to appear at the MES layer to be executed against. So the real strategy for us was not that you know we were going to put an MES in place in a traditional sense. It was that we were going to really turn an ERP, you know, higher level enterprise system into something that was consumable for plant manager, line supervisor, and the operations team, and help them bridge that gap between what a worker sees you know, on their UIs and in their, in their displays, but also how that bridges the gap with what the manufacturing engineering team is ultimately trying to accomplish with you know, the newer techniques in automation and the newer techniques from controls and design that you're starting to see. So, And what is, what is SAP's digital strategy then? So in terms of their approach to 
helping manufacturers make data the primary commodity in their business to help them make products that get better after customers buy them. What is SAP's digital strategy to that end? So, so we have it's twofold. Um, we have what we call design to operate, which is the full you know design through planning, through execution, and then out into the field operating equipment. Uh, for the discrete manufacturing side, we have design to consume, which is on the process batch, uh, could be CPG food and beverage, things like that, where you're seeing more of a, a recipe, you know, in a, in a recipe formulation with a batch execution, filling and packaging and out the door that way. Um, we show this in Hanover Messe. We started showing design to operate, design to consume back in 2019. We had some earlier versions in Hanover 2018, but Hanover Messe 2019, uh, world's largest industrial fair. If you haven't been, great one to go to. Uh, we started showing it there. Um, you'll see it again. Was th this past year? You'll see it again next year as well as continued investment that just keeps growing and snowballing for us. Here is a. Uh, I, I have a comment that came in prior to the podcast, and he said, "Please, you know, here are the questions we want you to ask Sam." So, um, so the first one is from a. Um, this guy is a. He's a high up in the engineering food chain and and was with one of SAP's largest clients, um, big multinational. So he said, for the upcoming podcast, my final comment or question to Sam is only this. SAP has been around for quite some time and has extensive resources and virtually unlimited capital to innovate. I propose that the SAP team take time to think about why and how is it that new kids on the block like Tesla with significantly less time in the market and exponentially fewer resources are growing so quickly. So number one, and then furthermore, how are they doing so without being on the SAP monolith and they're doing it better than those that are within the SAP monolith. And, um, I would, and I would ask, I would add one additional thing there. How has SAP been monitoring the the most digitally advanced companies like what is sap learning from the most advanced digital companies in the world sure so there's i, I guess that's twofold right They're, they haven't been around long enough to experience the growing pains of aging software for one right so if you haven't been around for 10 years then your mes isn't isn't 10 years old yet right once it hits that once you start hitting into the needs of modular production or the needs of you know managing contractors and suppliers and in addition to your own in-house production or final assembly or even partial sub-assembly, you know, coordination pieces, uh, then you, you really haven't matured to that need yet, but they're going to get there. They're going to hit a wall where all of a sudden they're going to have you know, a hard time scaling the supply chain, management of their suppliers, management of quality, management of first pass yields, especially as designs change, you know, over time, right? They probably have only gone through, you know, well, how many models you know do they have offhand? I think it's like six. Six. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. So now go to what, where you are with like a, a Ford or a GM or a Chevrolet, right? Now you're talking about tons of mixes. Yeah, but uh, but isn't, isn't, Tesla, isn't Tesla proving to Ford, Toyota, and that? I mean, why is it that Ford has so many different models? And the idea was they did Ford did such a poor job of managing their business. They needed to create, they had to make a car, make you buy a new car every five years. So, you know, they, when they originally started manufacturing, 
there there like sustainability wasn't part of ford's model it wasn't general i mean by the way ford and general motors don't give a shit about sustainability they want you to buy a new car every five years because they'll go broke if you don't and so that's why they need so many models that's why they they actually you know i hear this quality argument about tesla all the time we have three teslas in my family i've owned to myself a brand new model three and then a brand new model s they are by far the highest quality vehicles I have ever owned in my life. And and when and if you compare it to the Cadillacs that I used to drive, there's no comparison, right? It's like it's but the the point is is that isn't Tesla proving to Ford and GM those legacy companies that the way that they're going about product lifecycle management is all wrong and therefore the tools they use for PLM and ERP are going to be reflective of a flawed model. Is it, isn't that what Tesla is actually proving? So that's a that's a it's a good point. So when you look at what what we call design to operate, yep. right? There's there's multiple aspects to that. There's the the PLM and CAD design handover, the change management, revision control, how that's disseminated out to turning into work instructions and Pokio design feedback even from the manufacturing floor into the designs and and managing that side of it. That turns into well, what is the best way to construct the actual line flow itself, right? And we, you know, when we look at the, you look at the automotive industry, everything is moving into modular production, right? Where it's it's certainly not anything chain driven anymore. It's all every individual vehicle is moving around on its own carrier, so it can move to where it needs to next, not necessarily mm. what the next step in the chain is. Right. That modular production or even that. Um, know the linear flow but with the ability to move things in and out depending on priority sequence material availability right need for you know need for production um, changes or even rework because first pass you didn't get it quite right the first time through you know that kind of stuff is is all very relevant right it's not stuff that existed in in the old world that you could have that you could as a new company build into the you know into the concrete floor as a design so to speak, at the start. So I think because the investment up front on the on the Tesla side was around, you know, how do we how do we do this, you know, reimagining, rethinking that, of course, their their floor is going to be very, very modern versus retooling an existing, you know, Ford plant. At the, at the same time, though, remember that stuff, that hardware ages exponentially, right? I mean, if you look, you know, Moore's laws, you know, yeah. applies to that even more than software. Agreed. Sure. Agreed. Sure. The hardware side changes so, so fast and the techniques around supporting that that hardware innovation also change along with it and while it, it may work today there's certainly going to be things in place that they're they're, that they're going to want to have in place in order to continue that scale so that they can take advantage of these different digital signals that are that are starting to show up that are new or have a new process associated with them let me ask you this question. I did, and I didn't ask this before, but can you, so there was a, what started our conversation was there was a, and I think if, if I get this wrong, correct me, but that you had said that you, you had communicated that you, that unified namespace doesn't scale, right? That it wouldn't scale across an enterprise. Okay. So there's a couple of things to that statement. Um, okay. Let me, let's add some context to it because that's what ultimately gives you scale. Sure. Like that anyway. Right. right? <laughs> yes. I, I see what you, that's a pun there. I see what you, yeah, like. you like, you like where that's going. I like uh, where you're going with that. Yes. All right. Amazing. So one of the things about, 
about data, especially you know, coming from you know building historians or building poor man's historians, if you will, for a long time. Um, it, it wasn't just about timestamp, tag name, you know, unit of measure or, you know, secondary data or in the value, right? That's really what you're getting out of a SCADA system. And if you're going to pump that into a database table, right? Not doing anything fancy with it, just every time it changes, pump it into a table and whatever. You're limited now, to those, you're limited to those parameters at that. It, it doesn't, and the chances of you seeing, you know, correlations in data that is not actually correlated, right? Because of geography, because of process, because of whatever. Right you know, it goes up exponentially the more data that you collect. So when you talk about- Without, without raw, proper context, without proper context, yes. So, so now if you can manage that that context and that process together, and you can historize even the hierarchy around how you've decorated or how you've annotated these different process values, now all of a sudden you can look at, well, what was our old configuration? What was the previous layout and how are we performing there? And now that we've added this extra piece of equipment in in parallel, or we've moved this to another, you know, grouping, you know, a subassembly area or whatnot, how does that equipment now perform now that we've changed its usage in its in the taxonomy, not just the raw signals coming from it alone? Right. And that's what I mean by by scale is is scaling not just the data itself because I think you guys do a great job of of scaling data and around you know organizing and providing that namespace piece of it but there's more to it at a at a business process level that matters for how that behaves especially when you move one piece of equipment from one area to another or you move it into another grouping of equipment um, and you organize its usage differently within the business process itself. this is i think where we're getting at the key of how they work together because hey zach uh, come back off your mic just a hair sorry yeah no i think this is this is because walker you often say like use the sap equipment on number four because we always say, you know, unified namespace is your semantical hierarchy, which right. gives you that context to be able to correlate data across the enterprise. But there's sometimes information inside of the ERP or, um, you know, whether it be like equipment, num you know, equipment right. information or uh, so matching information. So I used to say this all the time, right? It, obviously, in the old days, SAP wanted you to use their CMMS plugin to do your maintenance management, right? Along with the ERP. And if you did that, you could, you only had to use one asset ID for the asset, right? The CMMS plugin would consume the asset ID from the SAP ERP. But what, what percentage of manufacturers are gonna settle on one software suite? Like what percentage is gonna say, you know what? Or they're gonna acquire another manufacturer that's also doing the same thing, right? So one of the things that we've always said is, well, SAP is a great ERP, but there's a lot of people out there who are using, say, Infor CMMS. And how do you join? This is a very common integration, by the way. How do you join together the asset ID of an asset in the Infor CMMS with the asset ID inside of enter in whatever flavor of SAP ERP? And the answer was unified namespace. Like use, they both use ISA 95 or can and should use ISA 95 part two to organize the master data model. You can create a agnostic unified namespace that puts together the asset ID from the ERP namespace with the asset ID from the CMMS namespace. And now I have a structure and an event engine that allows me to correlate the two together. I can join the two together. Now, up until you showed me digital manufacturing, 
I didn't see that there was no mechanism until you guys had the integration suite and production planner designer. Okay. Those two components in DM until you, I saw those two components. The only way to do that was through some type of gateway through, you know, you had to use MII and then you had to have some code that was going to parse the, 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 the response through the queue. Like it was a, I mean, honestly, it was a pain in the fucking ass. You know what I mean? But I wanted, I wanted to go to this point. I, I posted this infographic yesterday about, well, you, you'll hear me talk about additive context. You made the, you know, the joke about context. The yeah. Context is everything when it comes to data. It, it is, is literally everything. Data is completely useless. By itself, you can't make decisions on data. You have to turn it into information. And there's lots of ways to turn it into information. But we did this infographic yesterday. And I, and I used one example of a sensor value and the number of times a sensor value gets transformed as it moves up the automation stack to provide iterative value to a business, okay? So number one is the raw data event, okay? That's, it comes off the sensor. It is the raw digital event, often from a sensor, sometimes from a PLC or an event in an edge-driven uh, edge device. It, it's just the raw data event. It's the transition off the sensor. The second step in additive context is the initial context, which is what Sam was talking about there, the SCADA component, right? Or the, or the data type or the add-on instruction. That's the earliest interpretation of the raw data. So where you're putting rudimentary identifiers, such as timestamp and source and type, applying them. The third step is the operational context. So Generally, from a sensor, you go raw data event to initial context, and now you apply operational context generally in the SCADA system. A really good example would be alarm definitions. So I may never even have an alarm defined until I get to the third step, okay? And I have to put all these things together, right? And I used to wonder, and this is going to be me giving SAP credit here, especially your group, SAP really didn't have an easy way of doing this until production plan production plan. process designer uh, production process design, mouthful, you know which is which is basically a for those of you that don't know what it is imagine you were using apache nifi to transform data or you were using node red to transform data it's a very similar type of functional flow that allows you to connect to various data sources and you can add context as you move from one block to the other, okay? But there, it's way more than that. It's, it's much more than that. But when it comes to data context, this is the first time I've seen SAP have anything like that, okay? So then it's data enrichment above that. That's generally your MES stuff. Then it's business context, the stuff in the ERP. Then you got cross-org correlation where I'm now I'm looking at the full data context of two organizations compared across similar assets analytic insight, and then predictive context. Those are generally your additive context for a, a general sensor. This is why when I say someone's going to go to, say, Microsoft, and they're just going to do Microsoft Digital Twin, and they go, and I say, that's digital thread, it's not going to work. The reason it's not going to work is because it's missing all those steps. It's literally raw data event to object creation to data store to consumption. That's it. That's what digital thread is. If you don't have a mechanism for additive context, by the way, then you're, you are literally missing 80% of the value that you get out of a digital ecosystem. Or you're trying to apply it so late in the game right. that maintaining that over time 
becomes completely unwieldy and it works for a little bit and at a small point, but not for the bigger picture. And a lot of the times, uh, even internally, uh, when, when the concept of IoT was first being kicked around, all of the arrows were bottom up only. There was never an arrow down Correct. at the management channel up front. And it was a, it was a hard lesson for some of the teams, um, even here, um, to, to learn. And you see it still in the ecosystem, right? When, when people even you know, say IoT or you know, I call them digital signals very specifically because it's not just a, an IT managed channel. There's still the engineering, OT, you know, controls layer as well that you, know, you still have to give credit to. So, it, but it's still about that management channel down up front so that when the data does reflect to the highest level within the organization, it's immediately useful. It doesn't require extra cleansing or extra scrubbing or you know, some namespace at a point in time to be applied to it because that namespace itself changes. So you can't just look at current taxonomy, right? When you, when you look at the, the data that's reflected up because but when, by change, histor historical by change, it, it's additive. It's it, one of the rules that we talk about in UNS is you can add something, but never delete it. Right. You know, I can add a parameter, but I never take the parameter away. Right. The, you know, it, it's, it's additive in UNS. Okay. Um, until you, recreate the model from from scratch you start over at the instantiation of the raw event well let me ask you this question because i'm going to get into this next question that came from the community which is a, how do you define unified namespace I, I you know how we define it but when you're talking about unified namespace you are talking about unified namespace how do you define it Ooh. so so for me when I, when I look at your product and you know, I, I haven't had a ton of time and we didn't really go super deep in exploring it. So I, 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 know, art, that, I know there's more to it than, yeah. than what, my, what my superficial view of it is. But um, when, when I look at unified namespace, I look at a way to map digital signals into hierarchical taxonomy yep. so that I can organize flow events and put more complex um, data calculated values over the top of this raw feed that I'm looking at across these different signals. Okay. Um, that's that's my perception of it, it including the storage act mechanism and some other stuff. But but really, that's how that's how I see it. Anyway. And it's and that and that and while I wouldn't exactly describe it that way, it's sufficient. It, it, you wouldn't be that far off if you described it that way. What's most important to understand about UNS is that it is the structure of the business and all of the events. And I want to contrast something here. I want to go back to the original comment, the Tesla versus legacy auto manufacturer. We, we were brought in about a year after a legacy auto manufacturer started building their factory of the future. Okay. Sure. So they had already started their journey. It was for a couple of their electric cars. So they had, they had made electric versions of some of their legacy vehicles and they were building a factory of the future. They were doing it in two places in North America. They were trialing both. We were brought in a year in, in to, to help with the second one. And they were using EGVs to grab the battery packs and install the battery packs on these two, on these two different models of cars. The same model of car could run on the same production line. So they had adopted similar to what Tesla you know, Tesla's mentality that, you know, I don't have to run Model S on this line. I could run Cybertruck with just a changeover, right? Yeah, modular. We call it, yeah, we call yeah, that not, modular. Not, so, but one of the things that they didn't understand that Tesla did was the importance of edge-driven, and this goes to UNS. Mm. So rather than me having to map 
values uh, map a digital signal to a unified namespace. The goal is to publish digital signals to the place in the unified namespace. This is why we pick MQTT. So one of the things that we showed them, they were using two AGVs. And one of the things that they wanted to know was which AGV is the one loading the battery at any given time. So it was like alternating. AGV1 would load the battery and AGV2 might get called to do something else. Then AGV2 would come back and load the next battery. Well, all we said was, let's do it the way Tesla does it. We'll have the AGV inform the infrastructure which one is loading the battery. Not we're asking both AGVs where they are, what are they doing, and try to abstract which one is loading the battery, but have the AGV inform the infrastructure what it is doing. And that's the same approach we take across the business. So when we were looking at your digital manufacturing um you know, you had Ben, Ben was doing the demo and he had the robot there. Yeah, that's right. The cobot that was there assisting the production scenarios. Yeah. And I had asked the question, well, what happens when you unplug that robot and you move it to another production line? Which, by the way, that doesn't, that's not a very common use case, but a really good common use case is say like rectifiers in plating lines or AGVs is a really good example. Yeah. UNS is designed to have the infrastructure in the or the assets inform the infrastructure of what's going on as opposed to the infrastructure requesting from the assets what is going on mm -hmm. and that was the question i was asking right when it comes to uns this is an important concept when a production line comes online you shouldn't have to integrate to that production line that production line should just inform you that it is online it yeah. should inform you which work order it's running go ahead zach yeah, and the <clears throat> the language you use to describe unified namespace conveyed a lack of understanding of that specific concept in my right. opinion. Yeah, but, but let me. So I want to go into this next question. So what? Once I've laid that foundation, this was the next question. So this is from a. He's a director of digital transformation for a, a really large company. He's just starting off their digital journey. Okay, so he has just come out of digital maturity. Architecture has been designed, and he's getting ready to kick off multiple proof of concepts. So he says, for the upcoming podcast, I'm less interested in the sales pitch of SAP MES solution, but more interested where and how can SAP bring value to a unified namespace type of architecture? Sure. I tried to make some questions around that theme in the session today, but I wasn't too successful getting a proper answer from Sam besides kicking the can forward by characterizing the UNS architecture rather simplistically and in a skewed fashion. For a simplistic guy like me, he was saying that if you have SAP as an ERP, you need their MES solution to do something meaningful. That's not a very open architecture way to see things. And so let me clarify that uh, point. What Sam was saying is that if you wanted to calculate scheduled, uh, so if you want to calculate OEE using the scheduled rate, then you are better served calculating it with the system that owns the schedule. That's what he was saying. We then clarified after that, well, you actually calculate OEE three ways. You calculate it based on scheduled rate, theoretical rate, and standard rate. So I, I want to make sure I, I clarified that piece. But Sam, do you want to go ahead and answer what he his question was? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I guess if I try to remember see, the original see, question, because we kind of drifted a little bit. At, how, how, how can SAP bring value to a UNS type of infrastructure. Sure, so UNS still has to have something that's gonna publish what is the current order. 
what is the current expectation of that order? What are the instructions around it coming down? What is the, the attack time for your instructions? How, you know, right. So understanding, you know, when we say, when we say modular and we talk about plug and play and we talk about moving things in and out, there's a reason I use the, the phrase digital signal. Digital signal to me can be as simplistic as an operator interacting with a, you know, a pressure sensitive screen. It could be in a very advanced control system, right? A recipe execution batch control system from say Emerson or something like that. But it could also be something that's IT managed on the IoT side of the world as well, right? It could be OPC, it could be MQTT. It just depends on how you, you like to do your pubs and subs for what you're going to, to use as your event driven scenarios, right? But for me, it's about how do you understand what the work, how do you coordinate more than just the one work area itself with the broader process, with inventory, with staging of product, with quality management, with maintenance so that you can trigger proper awareness that, oh, this, we stripped a screw head. Well, why was it, you know, the screw head not, you know, not magnetized. So the screw was hanging in wrong or was it, you know, a bad screw from a supplier? What's really going on here? We need to take a closer look at what's, what that, what is upstream that caused this particular signal to occur the way that it did. And that coordination is where really what we're talking about when we talk about level three or MES in general. So let me, so let me say this. I want to, is that Josh, are there any questions in the, the chat? Don't throw them up yet, but if there are, what version supports DMC? And I think it's six, three, three, right. And above C six and has seven and newer supports the standard integration. Uh, of course you can buy into the integration suite and do integration with even third party ERP environments. Um, we have a couple of customers that have done that already. Um, in, in addition to supporting some of the older versions of ECC through some notes, uh, Louis Pro 05, your order IDOC is the one that has a lot of the more uh, detailed information about um, the order execution itself uh, on both process and production orders. Um, maybe that helps um, track down some of it, but we do have it documented on help.sap.com slash DMC. Um, and in there, you'll see integrate, and in there is the integration guide that will walk you through, you know, all the all the little catches and things like that for integration with the older versions. In addition to how to set it up for the newer stuff. So, so here's my position on. I want to make my position on SAP digital manufacturing perfectly clear. Okay, do I, based on what I've viewed, and I have done an incredible deep dive. I, I've spent the vast majority of my time over the last three weeks trying to learn as much as I can about digital manufacturing, um, the, the digital manufacturing suite. And let me say this, Sam has given us every, like the idea that I would come, you know, invite Sam to mastermind and then be a fucking dick to him is preposterous. <laughs> he, he, was my, he was my guest in mastermind. Like the idea I would invite him and then just be a jerk and not act in good faith is preposterous. And, and it really bothered me that some members of our community really wanted me to do that, number one. Okay, number two, I have taken a very deep dive look here, and this is my honest opinion, okay? I do, I still, my position stands, SAP is not digital infrastructure, though for certain use cases, a small section of manufacturing, SAP with digital manufacturing could make up 80% of an organization's digital infrastructure. It could. With what I've seen here, and he's given us full access to under the hood, answered every damn question, 
you know, I've asked him uncomfortable questions. I've told him how some, you know, and he comes and takes it. And most people don't do that. By the way, no one from Rockwell comes here and takes the heat. No one from other organizations comes here and takes the heat. So SAP deserves points for that, for sure. Here is my opinion. And my opinion has been pretty firm on the S4 HANA piece. I'm a huge fan of S4 HANA. And I think anybody who is on a legacy SAP ERP infrastructure and doesn't have a migration strategy is a fucking idiot. You're a moron. And why you're wasting time on that migration is beyond me. That being said, what I there are two tools that I think are could be very invaluable to integrating SAP because my focus is use SAP for what's it's good for the ERP component. And I know that mm -hmm. Sam's job is to grow a business that's focused on the MES piece. I'm not 100% convinced that digital manufacturing is going to work as MES for most manufacturers. Okay. And there are certainly verticals it's going to work really, really well at. They're hyper-focused on two specific verticals right now. Okay. And, and they expand, they intend to expand there, but there's, I want to bring out two points that stand out to me. Okay. Number one, they are settling on MQTT for internal infrastructure as, as, as when they're going from um, edge to uh, infrastructure, MQTT is one of the protocols of choice internal and in the fourth quarter of this year you guys are adding an external mqtt connector right and the question is i'll reserve my judgment how much of the information and data model that is internal to digital manufacturing is going to be exposed that is how it is we are defining structures will be exposed through mqtt maybe sam already knows that or and may want to address it right now if he does you can yeah sure yeah. so so anything that we that is connected to through production connector or managed from production process designer, uh, even managing the subscriptions for even the higher volume stuff, right? Because as you know, a digital signal, there's there's a couple of different types, but you know the events is largely what we're talking about when we say right. production process designer, right? And that's what's driving the workflows and interaction. But there's also higher volume stuff like spindle speeds and you know conveyance rates and things like that that are a little more continuous in nature, and that would have a, a direct MQTT feed to target storage of some sort, right? But again, MQTT feed coming off the other end of that. So MES, the MES layer um, does publish events. Uh, they are restful in nature. So they are OData, um, restful payloads. And it's not MQTT in that respect, but it is restful. Um, and you can get to it either synchronously, but we'll, we also publish those outbound as well. So what I would say is this, if you are working with clients or you have, you're settling on S4 HANA for your ERP then there are two tools you're going to use to integrate S4 HANA infrastructure to UNS. You're going to use the integration suite and you're going to use digital manufacturing, specifically production process designer to create the business logic that is going to map things that we traditionally, you know, I, I had a chance to take a look at that. And, you know, those blocks that are in the production pr process designer are literally, the, they are literally the connectors from information models in SAP to internal and, ex and external resources once you have this external connector. So there is a future where SAP will seamlessly integrate with UNS or in integrate with UNS much more seamlessly than it, it currently does. Right now, you have to put a gateway in between. 
The best way to do it right now is to use Ignition with Business Connector and SAP Business Connector, consume the BAPI, and then map the parameters from the BAPI into topics in your namespace, whichever if that part became obsolete, like the business connector was just native to, to the SAP, that would be yeah. ideal. If you were just transmitting, right? If you were just creating business logic inside of the production process designer, and you were just transmitting to the infrastructure that way, right? Outside of SAP, I mean, that's a game. That's it's a game yeah. changer. Well, you still need an o you still need some form of ORM, whether you build that well, that's what Hanna, but that's what S4HANA is. That's S4 what I'm Hanna. saying. Right. So that's if if I were to rephrase the answer to the question, is like you need some form of ORM to do your production, you know, scheduling and all of the other tools and apps that SAP does well, but expose that to an external ecosystem. Yeah, because one of the biggest challenges we see, Sam, is I think SAP, and this is the elephant in the room. SAP has approached the market top down. So let's sell it at the top and push it down through IT, through the boardroom, right? That's right. Um, number two has approached d uh, data acquisition um, and consumption deterministically. Acquire the data you have a use for, leave everything else behind. That Traditionally, that's been the, the approach. And, and also, ERP is a system of ownership. And you can't, and if you're, if you go into an SAP house, there's not, you're not going to be able to provide maximum value to your customer without access to the SAP ERP system. And the channel partners have made that next to impossible. You know, they, you know, and, and so what a lot of people are really leery about is SAP, me included, has taken the right step here with digital manufacturing. You know, you could quote me on that. They've taken the right step in the right direction. No way around it. Okay. Um, I would love to come here and go, SAP sucks. And, but yeah. if, but if I don't believe, if I, I can't look at this and tell you that it's something it isn't. Okay. It's a step in the right direction. Here are where I, my reservations are because I want to be open and honest with everybody. Number one, is SAP really shifting their mindset as an organization that we are a node in a much larger digital ecosystem? Or is SAP still committed to being the ecosystem? Okay. Number one. Number two, are the channel partners, if 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 the former is true, that is, we want to be part of it, we're a node in an ecosystem, are the channel partners going to start conducting themselves differently? Are they going to be, are they going to play with agnostic integrators and solution providers and consultants mm -hmm. more openly? And number three, is SAP going to abandon the concept that, the, you know, SAP does has traditionally done what Rockwell does. They try to leverage their existing Rockwell install base to sell more Rockwell stuff in other places, right? Which, in, in, arguably, Rockwell does that when the thing that they're trying to sell is not best in class for that solution. It's not even top 10 best in class. They're literally, they should be telling their customer, this product sucks. Don't use our product over here. Use that product to give you the best overall complete solution. And those are my reservations. I will say my conversations with you, have been, I feel like they've been on the up and up. You know, I, I feel like you've listened, you know, you've, you've, you're genuinely interested in what it is this community is, it cares about. And, um, and, and you've, you know, you've listened with open ears. Ha, do I believe you've been completely direct in all your answers? Of course not. But I mean, you're really high up in the food chain. There's no way, <laughs> you know what I mean? You have people you answer to. So yeah, I get it.
uh, you know, and believe me, if I were in your spot, there are certain questions I wouldn't be, I would answer probably the same way you're answering them. So um, let me say this. And I want to kind of close with this. Does, what do you have to say to this community to allay their concerns that SAP isn't just trying to land with something and it, and, and bully everyone else out of the area with their channel, their channel partners and their sales tactics, because ultimately that's the elephant in the room. Yeah. I, the, the best is awareness, right? Awareness and in, in understanding what, what our, what our sales motions look like and how one to, to have that, Hey, w when we see this product in place, this is our response. And we believe that to be collaborative, right? Okay. It's a little here, it's a little there. Yeah, we get it. It's they fit together more like a zipper, right? It's not just flat lines, you know, one on one. So the 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 best advice I can give you is if you bump into a sales rep from the SAP side, or if you bump into one of our partners, is that you you always show you know how the zipper teeth fit together, right? right? And that's that's the best advice I can give you just in general. Uh, but it also very directly applies to manufacturing because of how diverse it is and how strong customers are in some areas and how weak they can be in others. And if you can show, you know, how the strengths and weaknesses really align with taking that strength and, and this strength together, then, then, then digital manufacturing is very good at accommodating that in and out, right? And our industry hubs are different equipment and different setups, even though it's the same material in three different locations around the globe on purpose, right? We have one in Newtown Square and Waldorf in Tokyo. And they're all different vendors. They're all different equipment, but the material that we're making at the end of the day is the same. Now, there's a couple of questions. One was, uh, does digital manufacturing and process industries? Yeah, we had Grupo Schwarz on uh, on the stage at Sapphire talking about what they were doing uh, publicly um, with our process MES. Um, they they roast coffee um, for, for those of you who, who don't know that brand. Uh, so they were up on stage talking about it. Um, so yeah, that was one of the questions I just saw kind of fly by um, statement, you know, statements around, you know, what we're going to support with MQTT. Um, it is a flexible path payload, meaning the design of the payload structure itself uh, and how that's modeled into the, into the MQTT feed uh, is something that you do at the, at the connector layer. Okay. So when we connect to something, then having that, that MQTT feed decorated and structured a certain way is part of that configuration. And, and let me ask you this. Let me ask you this one step additional further. In yeah. general, most organizations who are making an MQTT connector, they'll let's say they do it in a function block, which I assume there's going to be some type of block in the production process designer or in the integration suite. In digital manufacturing, they'll level up and then um, the consumer is on the process designer side of it. So what most organizations do when they go flat is they're going to give you a block that allows you to define a topic and then you can coalesce lots of data together into one payload. So you end up with one topic and then an enormous payload that's like a JSON that's sort of a coalescence of many other data points and their values in key value pair, right? Is that the approach you guys are going with your connector or is it going to be possible to take a data structure and, and essentially convert that data structure into a topical structure in an MQTT broker? Because that's, that's the, the preferred, the latter is the preferred method. Yeah, so, so, the, so the design's not final. Okay. Right? I still got six months, not, well, five months now right. um, to, to lock in a few things with it. Um, it is 
more on the, the the latter where it's configured for this object has then this decoration on it and then that's what the feed is being generated on this so it's still that manage it up front generate the feed out the back end based on how you set up this management piece up front um it, it's not going to be a well in order to look at this you have to look at all these different points at the same time so um, we're not going to lock you into the into that approach for sure. So where I stand is I'm I'm in wait and see. I'm going to spend the next six months really, you know, so one of the things that I'm doing is um, one thing I want to give SAP credit for. SAP over the last, I don't know when you guys started doing this, not very recently. A lot of their pricing is published on their store. Yeah. So uh, and that is that's relatively new. That is not the old SAP way of doing things. So for, sure. for so for example, you can see that the SAP integration suite, the basic edition one tenant is basically 10 grand. I don't know if that's one time or annual, but it, you know, you can go and look at pricing on the SAP store if you sign up for a user. And so one of the things that I'm going to be doing is uh, I'm going to be doing the digital, the digital manufacturing test tenant. Okay. So that's whatever you know, $5,000 a year, whatever it is, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to install a DM test tenant in, for, for our students and we're going to play with it. And, and I'm going to spend six months really, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do S4 HANA and we'll go ahead and do the integration. I'll spend the money to, to really, really kick the tires. And the reason I'm spending the money is so I get to say what I really think. <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, I, I don't, I don't owe anybody anything. When I, I'm in a wait and see mode. SAP has taken a step in the right direction. Is it digital infrastructure for the vast majority of manufacturers? No, it's not going to be the complete digital infrastructure. It's still going to have to play well with other nodes in the ecosystem. There is, it seems like there's a mechanism to, you know, to integrate into UNS. What would be the ideal? And Sam and I will disagree here. I'm going to be hyper-focused on the S4 HANA because it's the known quantity. So it's going to be S4 HANA with integration suite and digital manufacturing to get that production process designer because I think that's a really invaluable tool. Okay. And, and then I'm going to integrate it. And, and, uh, well, let me, let me see. Uh, by the way, uh, Ricardo, it wasn't you who wanted me to be a jerk. There were, there were, there was some, there were a couple of people who emailed me who actually said jerk one used, you should be a bigger jerk. And another one said flame. Okay. So, I mean, they wanted me to be uh, a dick. So, and, and I can be a dick, but I just don't think it's deserved here. Um, uh, but let me say this. I also want to say this clearly. I am not endorsing SAP digital manufacturing. What I'm saying is it's a step in the right direction. And we, I think everyone should take a look at it. That's what I really think. Um, um, uh, the license model, you, you, you brought that up. So the yeah, test tenant, right? You, so you're going to SAP store for that, and that's the non-productive piece. Yep. The productive side, and because there was a comment on, well, it seems like it's expensive, right? And the answer to that is, okay, well, that's a relative term. So I have a hard time giving us the straight answer on it. It does, it does look pricey. But, yeah, I will say that. But not as pricey as old solutions. Fair, fair. Because the old way was to license it for an entire plant. Right. And now we license it based on the production scenario complexity that we're covering. Meaning if you have an area in your plant that is relatively low complexity, we call that a capacity essentially, right? So if you know capacity planning, think of a capacity in your mind, how that object is modeled in the MES is what determines the number of resources, ultimately generates what the load on the back end and the analytical you know, report complexity as well on the other end. Um, and that 
is how we license the MES. So it is, um, it is based on complexity of the processes that you've modeled in digital manufacturing. Now your test tenant is completely technical, right? It's all about storage and, you know, we, we cut it off at, you know, a certain amount of gigabytes of storage. So you'll only be able to show so much complexity there. Right. But in the real world for the customer productive one, you know, there's a, a QA and there's a productive tenant. Mm-hmm. And in the productive one, that's where we're tracking complexity of what you've modeled and what you're actually doing. So real and real quick, this is a good question from Christopher. So Christopher said, I, if I want my organization to become a node in the ecosystem, this goes to digital supply chain. Mm-hmm. How open is SAP to connecting my, my ecosystem to other SAP using organizations? This is something we do with UNS. That's a I've very used, good question. Yeah, I've used this example of we have a client, we have three clients who are all links in the same supply chain. One is, is a chemical manufacturer, one is a printer, and one is a, they use the packaging that's printed by the printer. Yeah. And we didn't know that they were links in the same supply chain. We just found out after we built UNSs for all of them. And so we just went to them and said, what data do you want to share amongst one another? And so like the chemical company was like, oh, I want to know relative humidity and temperature. I want to know web tension and the oven temperatures when they're heat, when they're doing the heat set printing using our ink. Okay. And I want to be able to consume that in real time. I don't want it as a transaction. I want to be able to monitor the events from it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we connected them together through basically MQTT. We just transmitted, created a upper level namespace and a digital supply chain. He's asking that question. How open is SAP to that type of integration between organizations? So, so because the, the MES layer is up in, up in cloud, it's ultimately, and it's available as, a, as RESTful OData APIs to get at that information. Absolutely. The MQTT feed that you're seeing in Q4, you can beam that to whatever MQTT endpoint you like, right? Again, don't care. Um, in fact, what we're even seeing customers ask us about on the contract manufacturing side is how do I provide work instructions? Yeah. There you go. It's for execution right. of an order that for a part that we, we kind of change with our tier one and even our tier two suppliers for them, right? How do we make sure that that definition remains consistent from our internal design? And so they're, they're, they're accessing screens and UIs that are not necessarily connected to the automation side at the plant, but certainly providing the instructions and the guided steps and manual data collections into that environment as well. So MES is, is, is moving off of the plant into the material level. And that's the strategic view you know, from the ERP perspective, right? It's always been material is one level up from plant. And that concept is now applying to the MES layer as well, where MES is now one level up from plant. Okay. And uh, Tomas, this is a good, Tomas Vodonia, our friend in Slovenia. What if an organization using SAP would like to connect with another company using Infor, for example? Now, obviously, based on what you've already said, you, via REST, that's going to be possible. Also, it's going to be possible via MQTT. We've already, we've built a connector that goes from the Infor SOAP or REST interface into an MQTT broker. You could obviously interpose there, but any any other comments? That yeah, you so for have? us, um, the cloud integration piece is, a, is an enterprise service bus, which will handle that Infor, you know, ERP layer and their service yeah. bus needs of, you know, reliable, exactly once in order type processing back and forth. Um, we have all the RESTful APIs for order creation, modification, and, and movement. Uh, generically, on the MES side, um, to work with these other ERP backends, um, we see customers that want to move to S4 in three to four years, but you know they're not there today. 
right? That want to take advantage of it, or they're not there today in all of the business divisions, right? Because they're very large conglomerates, as you point out, mm -hmm. SAP and our, our, the companies that are our customers are uh, the biggest in the world, right? Um, so they're large conglomerates. They're not completely, you know, one S4 only, right? They have a, six or seven different ERPs or sometimes even more. Uh, and we have to work with that as well in order to help bridge that gap to get them forward. Yeah, I thought I saw I, I literally just got a report this morning. Um, SAP has about 11% market share. Legacy SAP ERP has about 11% market share of the ERP market. And that's not just industry. That's the complete $50 billion market. And then you have the about 4%. If you look at S4 HANA growth. So if you combine the two together, it's about 16%, give or take. But S4 HANA is, is growing at whatever, 50 to 100% year over year. So okay. uh, even higher net, right? So um, Ricardo's question here, I want to piggyback on this. So the, my question with related to MQTT is, and I know you're still six months out, you're still designing, but what will, in your head, what will the limitations of the MQTT connector be? So that is, what data are we not going to be able to transmit over MQTT or models, information models, number one. And number two, can we in the future use the MQTT connector without having to acquire the whole MES suite? So the question is, is that going to be possible through, say, just an integration suite license if we've got S4HANA? Say we got S4HANA, we purchase integration suite. Is, is the MQTT connector going to live in integration or is it going to live in digital manufacturing? The, the MQTT connector today lives in digital manufacturing. Okay. All right. Integration suite is more of enterprise service bus, got it, rather than management of the data control layer. And, under and the reason why is because you're going to need the business logic component, right? To I do need it. to know what order and what material and what are the work instructions and what's its flow, what's the route that it's going to flow, where are the alternate routes, where are the alternate materials, right? There's more to it than just the state of production, but what are the options for production, right? And then what is the genealogy of that product as well? Where is that? Where, where are we sourcing the underlying product that make that up from? So I'm looking, what is that? So you're basically looking at fit, uh, crap. It's uh, life sciences med device, right? Cause that's a, a key market for us. And in the pharma side as well, I need to know full traceability, full change management, full auditability of the process itself. And I need to go into every layer of options around that, right? So what I so you're looking at basically sixty thousand a year per tenant for digital manufacturing, right? It's five thousand seven hundred a month or something. Yeah, somewhere in there. Given all right, give or take. So you're basically looking at sixty thousand a year per tenant for and it, it, we had a conversation in Mastermind that we didn't talk about here, which was how is pricing handled. Digital manufacturing is is cloud, so there's it, it there's cloud resources going to it. So the pricing is a function of how hard your instance is working. Basically, right. it, the harder, the more resources it's using, the more it's going to cost. Based on complexity of production, right, right, and it scales up and down based on that. That way, you know, the the barrier of entry is low. There's no hardware investment. There's no, you know, so software install, database, OS management. None of that is there, right. So. Um, I wrote a blog on this. It's a impact of cloud on manufacturing. And it talks about the IT changes that the wave of cloud is bringing to manufacturing, but the, the corresponding business value on it. Think about what it would take to, okay, buy the servers or rent them even through, you know, right. And then 
do the manage that OS, manage the database license, manage the platform, right? And then do that over time. But now you don't have to anymore, right? So all of that overhead for adopting the latest software goes away. So long gone are the days of an MES in your plants being three years old, being five years old, being 10 years old, right? 15, pick one, right? That goes away. And that keeps you in tune with what the options are for production that are really out there and those techniques that are coming in from the different industries around the globe. So, so I'm going to pin you down on an answer here. Cause I, I'll get fucking hammered for this one. Um, all right. So if I'm, if I'm a UNS open architecture guy, I'm thinking what I want is my customer, my clients got S4 HANA or I've got S4 HANA. We're investing in S4 HANA. I want to be able to use digital manufacturing process, production process designer, and the MQTT connector to just unlock the data in S4HANA. I don't want all the other, I want to be able to create some business logic and I want to be able to unlock the value in S4HANA and integrate into my UNS infrastructure and then use other IoT platforms to maybe to calculate OEE, whatever it is. Is there, in your mind, since you own the direction of the product, is there a mechanism, is there a future where a thin version of digital manufacturing with just business logic and MQTT connector is a possibility without, without leveraging the need for MQTT to, to get a bunch of stuff I'm not going to use. All right. Well, let's, let's flip this around and come at it from the other side. What is SAP at the core? All right. We're an ERP vendor. Yep. What is the, what does the P and ERP stand for? Planning. Planning. Yep. Right. Very clearly. Planning means that you have to, set up all of the things for production to be successful maintenance plan right quality management response team based on quality issues you have um, the inventory right inbound and outbound management of that inventory itself you have the labor and the workforce around that right you have uh, this production sequence that's going to optimize that but then you also have to respond to the changes on the ground so coordination for success right, is what ERP is, is actually providing. It is not providing the execution of that plan or the response to the, uh, I mean, our joke is when man plans, the gods laugh, right? That's right. why manufacturing level three exists, right? Right, <laughs> so, right? You, can, you can plan it all day long, but if you throw it out the window, you still got to do right. it, right? You still got to do it. Right. So then how do you still do it and still coordinate the bigger team of what's around manufacturing with what happened and raw feeds aren't going to do that. They're not going to give you the coordination without a lot of tape and a lot of, you know, side processes to run. There still has to be an enforcement layer that's going to provide traceability and enforcement of that process within the constraints of the organization to control costs. You don't need enforcement if you capture all events in a common infrastructure and then, and then apply context uh, at the abstraction layer, when I retrieve the right, you could still you could still get it done, right. but you have a hard time backporting that into the ERP logistics and plan and inventory and production efficiency. But the challenge you face, though, Sam, is what you're talking about is the is the ideal SAP scenario. When you guys sell S4 HANA, you as, you say, customer, you're going to use it in this way. These ten ways, you'll define what you're going to do, but the the, what we see all the time is, you know, when you had mentioned the schedule, the vast majority of the clients who use SAP for their ERP don't schedule in their in SAP. They're scheduling yeah. 
out they're they're generating the manufacturing order we're consuming the bomb from sap but yeah. the schedule is happening someplace else right and now you're hitting on one of the reasons why digital manufacturing was so we came at it from two sides okay one of the first things we built was production process designer and resource orchestration right, so now you got that outside of erp right, right. and then we built the execution engine in the middle now why do we do that well there's a there's a 20 year old joke that MES stands for Microsoft Excel spreadsheet, and oh yeah, thank you Ricardo, you even put it in the in the in the in the stream, right? Typically right. in XLS, we know that. What is the biggest threat to an ERP product, a planning product, not using the planning piece, right? If you're not using planning from ERP or it's not defined well enough to take advantage of the manufacturing, planning, and scheduling capabilities then all of a sudden you're diminishing the value of the ERP backend. And that's a big risk for SAP when you think about it overall, right? Like what is our value prop? If you're saying, well, it's not useful, we might as well just do it manually without any kind of enforcement. Then all of a sudden you kind of go, well, why do we even do it in the first place? Well, I would say this, here's, here's the biggest deficiency as I've seen the way SAP has approached things. And it's this, SAP wants to be very rigid in the modeling you use the term enforcement. I use that term as well. They they want to be very rigid in the infor in the in the modeling and the enforcement of the model. What I've always said is that SAP would be much better off being very rigid in their modeling, but then capturing the events as they actually happened and abstract them. You call this through backfill. They'd be much better off. Now I know that that's part of what digital manufacturing's role is, but at the end of the day, you're going to have a lot of people who want to take just what's in S4 HANA, the, the master data model of how we're structured yeah. and stream that to some open infrastructure. Are you saying that this the light connection option is not an option or, you know, I mean, I know you're tiptoeing around the answer and I don't want to, but yeah, I want to. I, I, I have a hard time defining light because to me, right, if I have 30 resources, that's a light MES. Like, I, I'm not talking about a very expensive manage software environment to do that. Okay. If I'm talking about 3000, now all of a sudden that's a different scale and it's no longer light. Right? And to answer your question, Ricardo, you should never do maintenance planning in ERP. And I think this is probably, uh, Sam and I are definitely going to disagree here. I, I do not, I do not believe maintenance. I believe maintenance planning should be event driven. So I believe maintenance planning should be a, you know, your, your preventative maintenance program should be a function of what your actual maintenance program is. So okay. you you should be collecting the rising edge of a failure, the rising edge of a, of a maintenance work order being generated by an operator, the rising edge of someone accepting that work order, the rising edge of the mechanic or electrician showing up, the rising edge of the inventory retrieval. You should be collecting all that data and then you should be drawing skylines and, and modifying your preventative maintenance programs based on those data. Where does that data live? That's all level two, level three stuff. So I don't think that you should be doing maintenance planning at L4, right? I mean, I just I just so, don't some think- Some industries you can get away with that. Some True. that are 24 by sevens or have you know different types of shutdown turnaround windows are, are a little Great. different than that for sure. Um, I'm not gonna disagree with your point uh, other than to say that the asset performance management portfolio within SAP allows for that to happen. It's not just the core PM stuff that you're used to of, of, of old, right? So no, there is the asset criticality, asset criticality and risk matrix. There's a value mode effect analysis. There's the other pieces that go into that. In yeah. addition to the spare parts supply, right? 
and, and coordination of what's going to be available and when and who the right certified people are going to be and where they're going to be at the time to work on that. So there is commodity maintenance things. There's you know mid-level complexity, and then there's higher level complexity maintenance tasks that kind of all fall underneath you know rely asset reliability as a topic. Um, certainly encourage you to look at APM overall, but you know in general, I, I don't think that you're wrong in what you're saying. Okay, I, I want. I just want to hi highlight Tamir's point here because I think this kind of brings it home in terms of the challenges that we face as integrators. Right? There's the there's the ideal scenario, there's the perfect world, it's the way it was designed, and then there's the reality on the plant floor that we have to deal with every day, not just us. Yeah. Man but, plans, God's left. Right, no. you know what I mean? Yeah. But Tamir says, you know, what you're talking about, He, I'm paraphrasing here, what you're talking about, Sam, is actual. It's about the ideal scenario with S4 HANA to get value, but the reality is totally different in manufacturing. And if there's anything I learned in my career, it was amazing to me, not one time did I ever hear somebody say we can't do that because the erp says we can't not one time has i ever heard somebody say you know oh no the erp doesn't say we can run that product on that production line well fuck the erp we'll figure that part out later and that's why backfilling of data is such a big deal in erp what i would say and this is the thing that we try to do with erp systems this is why i'm a big fan of of more you know open erps and by the way I am a fan of SAP ERP. I am. Um, I, I believe in terms of the way they build products, they build great products. Did they build open products? No. And and are they problematic when you try to integrate them into agnostic ecosystems? Yes, it's problematic. It's hard. That's why a lot of our questions centered around this light MQTT connector were so focused there because obviously if you make it light, then you're technically making it easier to integrate SAP with non-SAP products. And there's a lot of executives who say, no, we should leverage the existing install base to make it really hard to integrate with non-SAP products. So they buy the SAP one, right? But that being said, never have I ever seen someone say, we're not going to do whatever it takes to get manufacturing out the back door because the ERP system won't let us. Yeah, I've never sure. seen it, right? Yeah, that's the whole point of level three. Right. Yeah. All right. Hey, so I Sam, I really... Uh, hold on. We have the connector with Ignition and Sepasoft and SAP. I was really hoping it to be more open, but it does not look like it from what I'm hearing. I, I, agreed. I, I, what I would say here, McKeon, is this. I'm in wait and see. I, I believe that this is a rare opportunity. Sam has given us, and SAP obviously has endorsed you coming on here, so has given us a rare opportunity. And by the way, you know, Sam, this community is enormous. You know, we talk, you know, we have some, I think we touch over 70,000 people, 70,000 unique people that, um, so across all platforms, 70,000 unique. Um, and it's an enormous community and, 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 and it's a community that experiences all the same problems. Like there's people are not debating this conversation we're having here. Everyone's on the same page when they go behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, at the end of the day though, I, I, I believe that there's a unique opportunity here. I really do. I think SAP has taken a step in the right direction with digital manufacturing, obviously based on your leadership, Sam. And there's an opportunity for this community to help guide future decisions with digital manufacturing, right? That's why I'm trying to, you know, I think that's why Rick wanted to put us together. And, and, um, and I believe if we push for this light connector option, you know, 
and 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 it makes sense for SAP that it, it we can make it come to be. So I'm gonna I'm in a wait and see mode. We'll see in December Q4. It's end of Q4 that we should have the connector, right? And between yeah, now and then, pieces then the machine, the graphical view for management of that we call it machine park is Q2 of 2024. Got so it. there's a, a screens that are more form based driven for the MQTT piece, but then the graphical view of that comes later. Uh, one one more one more question. Let's do JCs and then we'll call it a day. So this is a good question. JC Dupree's my experience with SAP equals more staff and more paper. How does SAP today assist to not increase headcount and printed paper once the SAP ERP and other modules of F SAP get deployed? Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I mean, a, a digital record is what we do. I mean, everything is uh, everything is all UI driven or digital signal driven in order to ensure that you're not giving paper out. In fact, I don't even hand out business cards anymore because I can't tell you to be digital and then hand you a piece of paper while I do it. Uh, so it's a mentality shift, right? Uh, and people get a little mad. Oh, how am I supposed to find you? Like, what do you mean you can't find me? This is like the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Why? Because I'm digital. I have a digital record of existence. I have a digital record of my professional profile and a way to connect, communicate with me. You just have to learn how to get used to the new digital process. And once you get over that, it's very easy all of a sudden to get a hold of people or to understand who they are in the ecosystem or to find them. And there's there's more to it than that, but it it's the same kind of Thank concept. You, hey, you real uh, real quick, uh, Sam, you know what I think would be helpful is if we took out the clip of Ben demoing uh, the production process designer and we yeah, were asking you have, about... Yeah, you have my permission to use that. Great. So what we'll do is we'll edit that out of Mastermind. And we'll share it as a public video. We will, once we publish it, we will link it in this podcast. So you'll be able to look in the description. There will be a video that's maybe eight to 10 minutes long of uh, one of the guys from digital manufacturing demoing the yeah. uh, production process designer, what the data looks like and, and all that kind of stuff. Just hey, include a link to the SAP industry hub experience yes. and yeah. then, and then tie that to it so that there's some context to the video so that they know where it's coming from. And then absolutely. Perfect. Hey, Sam, I, dude, I really appreciate you coming on, man. I, I really do. Well, you, you thanks took, for having me. It's great. Yeah. Love the conversation. This is really, it's good to keep me, keep me sharp. If this video was valuable to you, please like, subscribe, comment down below, share it with somebody who you think might benefit from it. Truly appreciate you guys watching and we will see you in the next one.